of expectations. You're expecting to get out this morning at roughly, what, 11.45? Some of your expectations might be a little too high. It's been said that um, expectations are dangerous when they are both too high and uninformed. Too high or uninformed. You experience this. Your expectations probably really are too high for some things, right? Um, I read... So if you're not on the little next door app, you are missing a joyful slice of life. Um, so there's a little app that kind of connects the neighborhoods in the area, and you get it on your phone. And, and some of you post on this thing, which is amazing to me. But um, but it is it is just bliss to read. Uh, it, if you want a, a good laugh, go to go to the next door app and read, um, and to see the expectations that some people have, uh, much too high, right? Uh, you you expect, um, you, you know, we we just we have expectations that that are that are going to go unmet in in a lot of ways, and um, and that's part of life, right? But it creates a, it creates a disappointment in us when our expectations aren't met. And so perhaps they are too high or perhaps they're uninformed. In the passage that Tim just read for us, there's something going on. So Jesus in Luke 9:51 has made a turn in in life, right? So the what has happened in his ministry is he's now the passage says he set his attention on Jerusalem. And so everything that's happening from Luke 9:51 to the end of the book is his attention has shifted towards Jerusalem. And so everything that's happening in the book, Jesus is making this progression towards Jerusalem. And, and roughly 60% of the time, his interactions with people from now to the end of the book are negative. Okay, so people's expectations of Jesus and who he is and what his ministry is. Remember, he's been saying all along um, in in his life, and and you'll just know this when you hear it, that the kingdom has come. Okay, and so their expectation is of some kingdom and they are probably they're uninformed to a certain degree and their expectations are far too high about who Jesus, they're far too high in one respect and not high enough in in another respect. Does that make sense? So they're expecting this earthly kingdom and and someone in in the person of Jesus who will just crush the Roman oppressors and and bring in a, a great new kingdom that has all the features of a worldly kingdom. But Jesus isn't interested in that. He's establishing an eternal kingdom present here on earth, absolutely. But it looks nothing like the kingdom that, they're, that they are expecting. And so in this text, which at first glance seems to be kind of this mishmash of stories, is really the underlying theme that's, that's happening there is that Jesus is confronting their expectations. 
and he's teaching them about the kingdom. What is the kingdom? How does the kingdom operate? And he's subtly asking them or challenging them to adjust their expectations. Now, what does this have to do with this morning? So last week I preached and, and we talked about the church's purpose, okay, and who we were, who we are and, and what we're about. And, um, and just given life events and things that happened, Marion was going to be preaching this week and, and, um, and he's not able. And so I'm doing that. And so I started thinking to myself, okay, so if I were Marion, um, and I'm not, what would I, what would I say? <laughs> I, I looked at the passage and that he was going to preach on, and I, I, anyways, so I thought, you know, one of the things that we have, because our expectations are high, and because sometimes they're uninformed, I think sometimes what we need to do is think about the church and our purpose, who we are and what we're doing, maybe from a little bit different perspective. And Jesus does that in this passage. He, he helps us. So their expectations were adjusted. Let's think about how ours can, and we'll do it in three ways. First, let's check our concerns. Second, let's pray and ask our eyes to be opened. And then the third one is let's Let's insist and let's invest in small stocks. So here's the first part, okay? If, if you look at the text, and I have to put glasses on. If you look at the text, it's, uh, it's really broken down into three parts. The first one is that these people, um, they come to Jesus and they have, they have a concern. And, and the, the concern is that... Uh, Pilate has killed, um, murdered some Galileans who were making their regular sacrifices. Now, we don't have any more detail than that, and there's no other independent kind of confirmation out there about this story, so we really don't know a whole lot about it other than the question. And so the question comes to Jesus, and, and here it is. Now, there were some present at that time, verse 1, who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And so they come, and this is their concern. And perhaps what they're asking Jesus, you know, they're saying to him, can you believe this? I mean, Jesus, can you, can you believe what's happened? And what had happened was they were killed in the midst of offering their sacrifices, and their blood was mixed with the sacrificial blood somehow. And it just sounds like a horrible mess, right? I mean... Uh, an event that were it to happen, you would just be aghast. Um, I mean, think about this: if it, you know, hits hits the news and it's on television, and you're, you're it's stomach turning. It's a churning sort of an event, um, and and made all the more heinous because they're worshippers and they're offering their worship. So imagine some of the stories in the past where worshipers are going to worship and bad things happen. That just heightens the whole scenario. And so they come and they have this concern and they bring it to Jesus. And look at what Jesus says. He says a couple, he says, um, do you think, verse 2, these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? So he, he immediately goes to what 
what the general thought of the day was, and that is, if bad things happen to you, your sin must be great. And Jesus says, not necessarily, and not in this case. That's not true. But then he moves to verse 3, and he says, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he moves to another story. And he says, what about, what about the 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners? And what does he say? No. And I tell you, you too will repent, and you too will perish unless you repent. So Jesus takes two front page headline stories, big, massive, monumental sorts of stories. He, in, he engages both of them, one brought by the crowd, the other offered by him. And he essentially says to them, look, yes, big stories, but the even bigger story is you. The bigger story is what is going on with you? What is taking place in your heart, right? Because notice all he says is, nope. Their sin isn't greater, but what about you? What about where you're at? And and then he says, and I tell you this, unless you repent, you will perish. And and the implication is you'll perish just like they perished, unless you repent. And so he's, he's going right at them, and essentially what he's saying is, check your concerns. You can be worried about all sorts of stuff. Listen, people get wrapped up about you name it you can get your heart wrapped around just about anything you want to with the internet and with television you can the the concerns of x y and z can become your biggest concern and why and and jesus is doing that right he's taking they've brought a case to him He increases the caseload. So what is he saying? He's aware of these. He knows what's going on out in the world. He understands the modern current events. And and what is he saying? Where is your heart? Right? We We could talk all day about that stuff. Listen, when when I engage with people and they find out I'm a pastor, they they immediately so what do you think about uh, and and they bring up some obscure passage in the Bible and they get me this thing is messed up this morning expectations right and 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 they bring some obscure passage to me or they or a doctrine an obscure doctrine you know they they want to talk about that and and so okay well we can talk about that but ultimately the question really is where's your heart. Where are you, right? I mean, we can, we can talk all day long about doctrine and, you know, is that, was that part of the original text or not? And jots and tittles. We can do that till the cows come home. Or we can talk about major life current events because there are a bazillion of them. I love to listen to BBC. So when I get an opportunity, I'll listen to BBC radio. Listen. If you want to get tied up in news, get tied up in world news. Turn on the world news. 
just just listen. I mean, think of all the people all over the world. There's a bazillion Tower of Siloams going on. Every single day. And you will wear yourself thin if that's, the, if that's where your concern lies. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying to them. Look, you can get wrapped up about anything. But I tell you this, unless you repent, you'll perish too. See what he's doing? He's drawing, he's checking their concerns. He's drawing them back to the issue. And the issue is, where are you with the Lord? And where are those around you? Listen, think about the things that you can impact, the things that you can change, the things that you can be a part of. That's essentially what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, here. Let's go back to something that you can do something about. And that something is your heart. So the first thing that he does is he checks their concerns, and that's what we have to do. We can run down a million rabbit traps, but is it fruitful? Will it change anything? No. It won't. I'm not saying don't be involved in the process. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying absolutely do all those things. But think about your day-to-day intake. Is it going to change anything? Or can you adjust your expectations and start thinking about the things that you can be a part of that can change? He moves to um, to a story. He goes to a parable, Right? Because essentially what he, he wants to call their attention to this idea on a grander scale. And, and he, essentially the parable is about Israel, but it's also a personal parable. It, it, it's a parable for each of us, essentially, and, he, and it's a, about a fig tree. And he says, look, look at a man had a fig tree, and it wasn't producing And it hadn't produced for three years, so it wasn't making figs. And so he went to his caretaker, and he said, hey, the fig tree's not producing. Let's cut it down. And the man said, ho, 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 hold on a second. Let me cultivate it. Let me work it a little bit more and see after a year if it produces. And if it doesn't produce after a year, we'll cut it down. Now, there's there's a lot going on in that, but the basic, you know, end of it is, is that there is judgment and those who don't repent will perish those who don't change those who don't bear fruit in their lives the lord will take and they will perish and that's the reality there's underlying things god is patient he's patient with israel giving them extra time if you will and and um to show repentance and and then there's the whole Thing that the the cultivator says, let me let me cultivate it. And how is he going to cultivate it? And, and I love this. Eugene Peterson has written an entire book, essentially based off of this idea. But he, he says, look, what does he offer to do? He offers to put manure on it. And 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 that is the slow work of ministry, right? Working manure into the ground and letting it. Let, I'm not saying anything, <laughs> but that's the slow work of ministry. He doesn't say, you know, look, let's give it an injection. And 
He says, let me work some manure in to the soil around it and give it a year. Give it a year. Adjust your expectations, right? And the first way to do that is check your concerns. What are your heart concerns? Think about the church. Think about your church. What are, what are your concerns for your church and for the people that you engage here and out there with respect to your church? Here's the second thing. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. So Jesus is ushered in the kingdom. Things are, things are happening. He, uh, the, the next story is he, he moves into the synagogue. And so the story is that he's in the synagogue and there's a woman there who had been bent over for 18 years. And Jesus calls her to himself and he lays hands on her and he heals her. And she stands up, and the text says that she praised God, and she went away. It's, it's, it's very similar to other miracles that Jesus does. But in this, uh, in this story, what happens is, so remember, conflict, okay? The ruler of the synagogue says, Ho, hold on a second. You can't do that on the Sabbath day. And so he comes after Jesus, and he challenges his healing of the woman on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus says, are you kidding me? You have more concern for your animals than you do for this woman. You take better care of your animals on the Sabbath than you do for this woman who was, who was for 18 years held spiritually a hostage by this physical ailment that she had. Now, what is he doing? He obviously, right, right, Because think about it. He knows it's the Sabbath. He knows the concerns in their hearts. Okay? And what are the concerns in their heart? They've got a list of rules. So by this time in, in, in Jewish custom and culture, they had an extensive system of rules and regulations just with respect to the Sabbath alone. And Jesus knows that. And so it is interesting, on the Sabbath, in the synagogue, what does he do? The woman doesn't come to him and say, Oh, Jesus, my back, 18 years, can you help me? Jesus calls to her and heals her. See, he understood exactly what he was doing. And what was he doing? He was going right at the religiosity. Right at all the falseness and the the you know the, the mess that they had created, he goes right for it, and he says, "Look, there are big things happening. My kingdom has come," and and the text indicates right. He heals her physically, but then it goes on to tell us that not only is she healed physically, but it's a spiritual ailment because she because that was a result of. Uh, of the work of the evil one. And so he not only takes care of her physically, he takes care of her spiritually. Jesus is at work. And what do they see? They just see him breaking rules. Are Are you kidding? I mean, it defies logic that they didn't see and and weren't moved by what he had done. Here was a woman 
no doubt they all knew her. For 18 years, she was bent over in a way that hindered her life. And Jesus heals her on the spot, and they call him on Sabbath observance. Open your eyes and see what Jesus is doing. Let me ask you. Are you looking at jots and tittles and regulations? Or are you looking to see where Jesus is at work and are you joining him? It's easy. Look, it's easy to do. come and do church. That's, that is easy. That's the easy thing to do. It's, it's easy to have, right, a segment. You know, this is the way everything is supposed to happen and this is the way it's supposed to go down. And then when... Jesus is doing something different. You're like, well, what is that all about? I don't know all about that. And it scares us and makes us nervous and does all sorts of things to us. Open your eyes and see where Jesus is at work. What is God doing in the lives of people around you, in the ministry of the church? To illustrate this, he tells two parables. And you can, you can see them if you look down at verse 18. Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed that a man took and he planted in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air perched in it. What shall I compare the kingdom of God to? Again, it is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Here's the third and final one. Invest in small stocks. The third and final way that Jesus works to adjust their expectations is that he talks about the kingdom of God. And how it works in ways that are unlike the ways we like to see things happen. And if you think about it, if you, if you just go back through the rest of Scripture, you'll see he does it nearly in every instance. When he wants, when he wants to turn the tide, when he wants things to shift and change, what does he do? Well, he goes and he finds a barren woman. And he allows her to bear a child. And after a long period in which she's in very old age, Allah Abraham. Or you go and you look as we're going to start First uh, Samuel. And you see Hannah, again, barren. And, and, the, and the, she cries out to the Lord and he, and he hears her cry and he grants to her Samuel. And, and, and that changes the course of events, of history, of, of his people. And he, he seems to kind of delight and, and take joy in doing it his way as opposed to our way. And so you come to Jesus and you think, okay, if it were our way, how would, what would it look like? If, it, if Jesus were your way, if he was our way, what would it look like? Well, we know what it would look like. You have a massive following. I mean, he, you know, Joel Osteen would be put to shame. I mean, he, Jesus would be filling massive stadiums all over. He would just be walking around healing people like crazy. Why? Because 
that's clearly going to do it. That's, that would be our imagination. That would be the way that we would go about doing it. But that's not the way that, that's not the way God, right? At just the right time, Jesus came into the world. At just the right time? Are you kidding me? They didn't even have the Internet yet. I mean, Jesus arrived on the scene and nobody could set up a Twitter account and tell us. At just the right time? Yeah, go back and look at the history, the Roman road, the language system. At just the right time in history, Jesus showed up on the scene. And he didn't have any place to lay his head. Ever. At just the right time, and in just the right way, Jesus changed the course of human events and humankind. And how did he do it? Well, he healed a few people. But there were no massive stadiums. He challenged a lot of people. He didn't, he didn't preach too regularly, regular enough. He announced the word of God. He made it known. He made God himself known. He loved people, but he was hard on people. He didn't have a huge following. He had 12 guys, and one of them was rotten. And he changed the world. And, and he primarily spent time with three of those guys. Three, three guys got concentrated Jesus time. The rest of them hung around with him. And you and I are sitting here today, part of, a, of, of the church around the globe that has encompassed billions of people. And it started with Jesus. How? He tells us. His ministry was like that of a mustard seed. His ministry was like that of leaven, yeast. You put a little bit in, you start small, and it grows. It grows through people being called Jesus and being faithful in their ministry. Faithful to do what? We talked about it last week. Make disciples. He says, take a mustard seed. It's not about the size of the mustard seed. Everybody knew it was small. It's about the fact that it grows into a bush big enough that birds would gather and nest in it and, and live in it. It would become its own sort of ecosystem. And, and the leaven in the bread, um, the, the words used there, and people that deal in all that sort of thing tell us that it ends up being about 100 pounds of, of dough. If you're in the dough business, that's a lot of dough. Okay? But it started very, very small. Adjusted expectations. What are your expectations? Big? Flashy, small, concentrated, deep, at work, growing, spreading, organic. Yeah. It's kind of like that old question. If, if I offered you a million dollars right now or a penny doubled every day for 64 days, which one would you take? 
Terry knows. Better take the penny doubled every day for 64 days if you want to be really wealthy. It's slower. It'll take more time. Right? But that compounding interest will ultimately take over and you'll have a massive amount of money. More than you could ever give away in a lifetime. And it would all start with one penny. That's multiplication. That's discipleship. That's deep down in work. Listen, we're not, obviously, we're not interested in personalities. We're not interested in in big figures. We're interested in life on life, working together, growing together, relationship building, discipleship as a church. Listen, if we're faithful there, if we're, if we're doing that because that's what Jesus called us to do in the long run, it'll be great things because that's what he's promised us. He's building his church and he asks us to be faithful. Adjust your expectations. Right? Check the concerns of your heart. Allow your eyes to be open. See where Jesus is at work. And then the last one is invest in small stocks and let Jesus be at work. Look, we're going we're gonna to take the Lord's Supper in a minute. To the world, and maybe even to some of you, it's a pitiful supper. Right? You're going to get a little thimble full of juice, and you're going to get a little bitty chiclet of bread, and we're all going to eat it together, and then we're going to walk out. And the world would tell you, you're crazy. Jesus tells us, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Gather together and celebrate my sacrifice for you. This is leaven. This is mustard seed. The preaching of the word every single week is leaven and mustard seed. He promises to bless those things in the building of his church. That's why we, that's why at LOPC we, we do what we do. We've, we've tried to look at the Bible. We look at church history. We, we look at our other fellow brothers and sisters in our denomination. We say, okay, what have we been doing? What have they been doing down through the ages? What they've been doing is they've been gathering together regularly. They celebrate the supper together. The word is preached, and they want another. That's what we do. It doesn't sound flashy. It's not big and and monstrous. And then you go out into the world and you do ministry. It's quiet. It's simple. And yet, it's what he's called us to do. And if we do those things, his church flourishes. And we flourish as individuals. So as we come to the table this morning, let me just remind you, it's not my table. It's not our table. It's not the Presbyterian's table. It's the Lord's table. And he said it for us. And he said, all you who are weary, come to me and I will give you rest. If you are heavy laden, come and lay your burden. The invitation is to his supper, not my supper. To him, not me and not us. 
So as you come this morning, we come, the body of Christ, together, but we come to partake of the Lord Jesus. And so if you're here this morning and you've been baptized and you're professing the Lord Jesus, the supper is for you. If you haven't, my invitation to you is to not take of the supper. The Apostle Paul warns us that those who eat the bread and drink the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord and that you should examine yourselves before you eat and drink. And so please take that encouragement from the Apostle Paul seriously as we come to the Lord's table this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, you're good. We bless your name this morning and we thank you for the picture that we have in Scripture. We thank you for the adjusted expectations that Jesus gave and continues to give to us. Let us, Father, have eyes to see where you're at work. And, and Father, would you check our concerns of our hearts? And then, Father, let us see and invest in ways that will be beneficial for your kingdom and for us in the future. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.